Come join Melissa and her guests on the Chats from the Blog Cabin podcast. From North Carolina, this podcast will have you feeling like you've known these folks for years. Listen in as they chat about life, culture, current events, and more, all with a special Southern flair. Curl up with your favorite beverage and get ready to be entertained. Tune in now for a unique experience that's fun and insightful. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. You know the show where I virtually invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. And today we're chatting about reinventing ourselves. Before we start chatting about that, I'd like to introduce you to you, Roger. Roger, tell us a little bit about yourself before we talk about the, your school of reinvention. Yeah, well, uh, I guess the simplest way to put it is I'm, you know, I'm a guy who's reinvented myself, uh, gosh, countless times. <laughs> I feel like I've been doing it ever since 2005. And the, 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 what started it for me was just realizing that the success I was pursuing was not success that was authentic or aligned with me. It was something, a definition of success I inherited from university, you know, and what people told me. And then as I got onto that path, I realized something about this doesn't feel right. And then I decided to finally do something about it in 2008 in a really big way. And I, you know, quit my corporate job and got on an incredible journey that has taken me from starting off in my first corporate job as a national account salesperson to teaching high school and middle, uh, middle school math, uh, becoming an executive coach, an author, uh, an entrepreneurship professor at a couple of universities, and now um, an entrepreneur, a full-time entrepreneur running the School of Reinvention. I mean, because, yeah, you did, you did have a varied career. What was your aha moment or like, this is not the path I need to be on? What was it? Yeah. One thing that said, OK, I, this is not me. I have to do something or I'm going to end up totally like. Yeah. So the, the big moment for me was after I had launched a project to uh, tutor in math. So I was actually looking for extra money. So it wasn't even like I was thinking, ooh, I wonder what I could reinvent myself into today. It was more like I need some extra money so I can pay off my student loans. And I was thinking about different ideas. And since math was something that I've always enjoyed and you know took a lot of classes in, and I felt it's, it's something I could tutor in. And I figured I could make more money tutoring in math than let's say, a pick, picking up a part-time job, you know, maybe at a coffee shop or something along those lines. And I still had my day job. So I had my career job, you know, and it was a salary job. So the hours could be longer and all that. So I needed something really flexible and that would align with my schedule. And so as I started thinking about what I could do, tutoring came to mind. I put an ad on Craigslist, got my first client, had an incredible time working with that client. Uh, his name was Patricio. I was living in St. Louis at the time. He was going to Washington University. And I realized, wow, I really like this. And it, and that's not where it totally hit me. But then several months later, after working fin finishing my workup with Patricio, I went to work at a learning center. I applied for a job teaching math part-time at a local learning center, five minutes away from my apartment. Perfect for when I got home. I could just mm -hmm. head right over there and tutor students and mostly like... Uh, middle school and high school age students. And that's where I had the aha moment where I realized, wow, I think there is something that I could be uh, like massively amazing at, like just outstanding at. And what I'm doing today in my day job, I could be good at and maybe even above average and, and, and you know, maybe even like really good at it, but I wouldn't be outstanding. And I actually used to compare it to like as if Michael Jordan had started playing baseball first, mm -hmm. not basketball, and was just like, wow, I play pickup basketball with my friends after work, after work. Uh -huh. And and I'm like, I really love that. Like, And I feel like, I don't know why I get this feeling I could be so much better at basketball than baseball. 
And something about it just makes me feel like I got to go try. And so I felt that way. I felt as if that was the case. Like, And I realized at one point, and um, after many months, it takes time to plan it, think about my financial runway and all those details. But once I had a lot of that in place, I finally said, you know what? It's time to go pursue that. And I didn't even know if it would be teaching math full time for the rest of my life or not. But I knew it was definitely not what I was doing by day. It had to be scary, though. Take us through that moment because take because you obviously had to have a little bit of a doubt and saying, mm -hmm. am I going to be able to support myself with this? And, you know, because a lot of people, I think that's what's stopping them. That's what's blocking them from reinventing themselves is are they going to be able to support themselves financially? So let's talk about those blocks. Yeah. So the financial part is perhaps one of the biggest roadblocks to doing this and working with all the clients that I've worked with on these, uh, you know, on reinventions, that's like the number one objection, but my lifestyle or about my salary or about my bills, my debt, whatever, there's always something there. And so when I was getting ready for this, what I did was I started looking at what my spend was every single month. I thought, you know what, I, there's power in just knowing your numbers. So I need to know my numbers. And I had done, I had already been tracking my numbers to some extent because I had a lot of student loan debt and I needed to pay those off. And I wanted to be really aware of like, realistically, how long is this all going to take? So I already had a working spreadsheet, but then I took that spreadsheet to another level when I started thinking about what would it look like if I could not, for whatever reason, earn another penny for, I don't know, however many months, six months, 10 months, 12 months. Like what would actually happen? And so I created that spreadsheet so I could see all the expenses, everything lined up, extrapolated over, you know, two, uh, one to two years into the future. And I started making assumptions and I started playing with the inputs and saying, well, what if my income was this? Or what if I took out my 401k, which of course I, I don't advise people to do. I'm not a financial advisor, so I'm not the right. one to ask about this. But at the time that felt like the right thing to do because that's, I saw that as the price of reinvention. So I tested that scenario out and I realized, well, the markets had done incredibly well up until that point and they were still doing well. Yeah. I actually left my first corporate job in the middle of 2008, which you might remember was a pretty bad time for uh, the markets after that summer. And so I looked at that scenario and once I saw that out, I go, well, if I couldn't earn another penny as of whatever month, June uh, 2008, uh, then just going off of what I've earned so far in my 401k, I would make it, I think it was, I estimated somewhere like eight to 10 months, I would make it. Um, living very modestly, paying all of my minimums and all of that kind of stuff. So then I said, okay, that's good to know, but I know I won't make nothing. I'll tutor, I'll park cars, I'll work at a mall. Like, I don't care if I have to fold shirts, whatever. By the way, I did fold shirts for a little while at one point. <laughs> uh, so that's why I can say that. I'll do whatever I have to do. And I parked cars. I did all of these things. <laughs> and so I, I did all of these things and I thought to myself, I will find a way to make something. So I won't contribute nothing. I will contribute something to that, which will extend the runway a little bit farther down. And so that was a lot of the thinking that went into it. Once I saw that was possible, mm -hmm. then I thought to myself, okay, now let's start getting like, what could I really do? And I started thinking I could work more hours at the learning center. Okay, what would that look like? What would that income be? And how much could I cover with that income? Um, what if I, you know, went back to parking cars, I could go do that again and, you know, start doing that and making X and I knew roughly how much I'd make on a weekend doing that. So I started putting those things together. And once you start adding those to the spreadsheet, you start to see, whoa, there's a lot that's possible here. Mm -hmm. This is starting to look exciting. And then the final part was I needed to restructure some of my debt. 
you know, it was going to be almost impossible to pay that much in student loans off without having a really solid salary. And so I had to make a tough decision here. And I reached out and I was able to get my payments to come down. Um, in some cases, uh, there were moments along the journey where I even deferred, which of course, you know, is not great. Um, but it was what I felt was needed at that moment in time if I wanted to continue along my journey. Um, but once I restructured that debt and got it all under to a payment where I could make it, I felt like, okay, this is, this is the moment I know I'm, I know I'm okay. Even in the worst case scenario, I'm covered. And that gave me the security and the confidence to say, I can take this leap. It doesn't mean I'm going to be living large. I won't be buying myself any fancy new cars anytime soon. I won't be going on any fancy vacations. Uh-huh. Um, like a lot of my friends who were still on their salaried path, moving up the ranks in their corporations. Um, I, I knew that this was just going to be different, but I also knew that I was going to be doing something a lot more aligned with what I truly love and what I knew was the thing I could be best at. And nowadays you, you started that in 2008, but now there's a lot more things that you can do. Like now there's Uber Eats, you can drive for Uber or Lyft oh, and yeah. things like that, that, that were offered back then that people could always do on the side and make a, a little bit of cash a little bit of money correct correct oh my gosh like when i look at all the opportunities now to make some money on the side all the platforms that exist i mean fiverr was just getting started back uh-huh. then. i remember because i was on it and so i i was one of the early ones and i offered of all things i offered math tutoring i would offer to answer any question for like five or ten dollars or whatever it was and i would make a video explaining it and of course this is when it even making a video was a lot harder than right. it is today. Today, it's a lot easier. Back then, it was a lot harder, but I would record a video going over the problem. I think I would hold my phone while I worked okay. with the other hand, so I'm lefty, so I'd have to hold the phone in my right hand, and i explain what I was doing as I went through it, the logic, the idea, <clears throat> and I would turn those around. So yeah, it's uh, there's so much more now. What what were the reaction to your colleagues when you said you were going to step out of that corporate job and kind of do this what i know they probably looked at you like have you lost your mind yeah no this is actually something that i i I actually distinctly remember writing a lot about in in my book the journey to reinvention i i you know most people were had shared all of their objections with me all of the warnings all the things that could go wrong is what i got from everyone uh there was actually only one person i still remember his name greg who uh was the one who did not say anything like that now I never took it badly. I always thought, you know what? I don't think these people mean bad or are trying to harm me in any way. I think they're scared. I think they're scared for me, um, and probably scared for themselves too. Like to even think of doing of of this idea scares them. And and I've learned that because there are times where people say something and I react a certain way, and it's probably because I'm more scared of even thinking of me doing that than I am of them. You know, they might be. And so I feel like that's what people were projecting onto me were some of their fears. But it was okay too, because there was a bright side to that. They helped me see what I might have missed, risks I might not have considered. And so I actually took stock of a lot of these things. I wrote I wrote some of these down. I reconsidered some of these that I go, huh, I didn't really think about this part. Let me make sure that this still fits into my model, into my way of thinking, make sure that this is still uh doesn't hurt the plan that I put in place. And so that helped me out. So in a way, I kind of saw it as a, as a bit of a gift. Um, but Greg, by the way, he was the one who said to me something that I'll never forget. He said, you know, when I was your age, he was about 10 years older than me. And he goes, uh, when I was your age, I had an idea of something I wanted to pursue. And I, and I didn't. 
I didn't, um, you know, and then of course time passed and I went and I started my family. I have my kids now, my daughters and, and I, and look, I, I don't regret any of it and I would never change any of that. I love my family to death and all of that, but I will tell you this. I, there are times where I sit there and I have to think for a moment, what if, what if, and he said, I'm excited for you, Roger, because you won't be thinking, what if, whatever happens, you will not ask yourself, what if so congrats. I'm excited for you. Go do it. This is the moment to do it. Have fun doing it. And uh, I, it doesn't really matter if you win or lose here. Wow. I love that. And with that, we need to take a brief commercial break. But when we come back, I want to talk about what made you want to teach others how to reinvent themselves. People welcomed me and they knew the pain of the journey that we'd been on because they'd been there too. Other Parents Like Me is an online community, peer-led, for parents with kids struggling with mental health and or substances. It's a space that's safe, feels like I can actually share what's going on. We offer 15 daily support groups per week and live speaker talks on Thursdays, as well as a monthly expert panel. We also have a resource hub that has a toolkit this includes over a thousand articles, podcasts. There's a glossary with the most recent and relevant terms. And we have a directory that's been vetted. The overwhelming feeling when we're sitting in a meeting and I'm telling my story and I see others shaking their head, tears falling. You know, they understand this roller coaster and they're along for the ride. And we're back chatting with Roger about reinventing ourselves. Now, right before the break, Roger, we talked, we were uh, talking about how you reinvented yourself, but what made you decide to, okay, I am going to start teaching others and share with others how to reinvent yourselves. Now you wrote a book called The Journey of Reinvention. So let's talk about the book first, and then let's yeah. talk about how that involved in evolved into the school of reinvention. So let's talk about the book first. How did that come about? Yeah. So actually, uh, you're about to get a two for one answer here because the book and the desire or the idea to teach others all came at once. So I was laid off by IBM in 2020 during the pandemic. Uh, it was in May. So we were still under lockdown and all of that um, at that moment in time. And the way the layoff worked was that we all had 30 days. So we had our 30 last days to wrap up all of our projects, hand them off, that kind of thing. And then there was going to be a few months of severance that we would get. And so when I got the news, I, of course, you know, you're shocked, you're embarrassed, you're angry, you're all these things at once. And then I called my, I remember I called my wife, I called my, I called my parents, I told them the news, I called my wife to tell her the news. Uh, at the time she was living in another country in Europe. So she was uh, at different time zone and everything. She thought I was kidding. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't. But then I called a, a dear mentor of mine uh, later that night on Friday and I told her what happened. And she worked at IBM and she'd been there for like 25 years and she was an incredible mentor to me when I was there. And so when I told her the news, she was first angry that the company made, you know, made that decision or added me to that list. Um, and I, that felt nice. But then she said something to me. She said, you know, Roger, I'm not worried about you because I know you've reinvented yourself many times. In fact, you coming to work for IBM was a reinvention. You went from teaching middle school math at an all-girl private school to coming to work for a tech company. That was a reinvention. I'm not worried about you. I know you'll figure it out. You know, it's, it's not going to be easy, but you'll figure it out. What I'm concerned about are the, you know, the 
over 10,000 other people at IBM who were laid off with you who are, who've been here for 10, 20, 30, even 40 years who've been laid off. Um, for many of them, this is their only job. You know, they've only worked ever for IBM and reinvention is not something they've practiced in the way you have. And so this is going to be a massive challenge for them. And so she said, I want you to do something in your final 30 days. I want to challenge you to find a way to help them. And I can't tell you how, because I have no clue how you would do this, but I can tell you this is what I believe you should use your 30 days for. And in that moment, like I just felt this incredible sense of purpose come over me. Like, wow, like, you know, I could be pissed for 30 days. I could, I could just be angry every day saying this stupid company and all these bad things and every day curse the company and all of that. Or I could completely turn my attention in another direction and say, how can I help these people? And, and so I said, yes, I'll find a way. And that weekend I got to work on figuring it out. I started thinking about what I could do. And that's when I started thinking about the word reinvention more intentionally. And I thought to myself, I need to find a way to be able to uh, teach some of the things that I've learned along the way. And so I had to start thinking about what did I learn along the way? Cause I was doing it, but I'm not sure I ever stopped to think what I did. Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking about some of those lessons, highlighting a few ideas and I started coming up with some content. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to host a reinvention mastermind. And this is what I'm going to put out and offer to everyone. And it'll be a call that we get on three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays for an hour to two hours, really honestly, as long as anybody wanted to stay on. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a story about my journey to reinvention or someone else's. I actually shared a lot of my father's stories because he was the age it, he had been laid off in his late forties and in his early fifties. So he actually was, you know, related more to that group that was being mm -hmm. laid off who were also in their fifties. Um, than I of course did as being somebody who was uh, 39 at the time. And so I borrowed some of his stories as well. And I shared it with them. Then I taught a lesson and then I had an activity. So story lesson activity. And that was like my format, my formula for each session, um, breakout rooms, all that kind of stuff. And then I had to figure out, well, how do I market this internally? And of course, that was a big struggle, but I found a way to get the word out. At its peak, I had as many as 750 people that had wow. um, opted in to this. I mean, it was a tough thing. There was no layoff list I could go to and say, yeah, let me email the list of laid off people. There was no list. And, and it's not the kind of thing you want to identify. It's the kind of thing that you're like, I don't want to tell anybody. So why would I opt into something where the moment I show up and turn on my camera or show my name, everyone knows that I'm part of it. Yeah. And so I, it was really incredible to get 700 people, 750 people who decided to, you know, be part of that group. And then I got to work on doing that. And as I started preparing all of the content, I just realized, wow, there is a lot here, a lot more than I ever thought actually there could be. And maybe there's more I could do with this. And so when the final day approached, um, you know, we had a session actually on that last day um, in the at the end of that day. It was a Monday. I'll never forget. That was the last day for everybody, meaning all of our devices were going to be disconnected um, later that night. And so I did a session where I said, we're all going to shut down our laptops together for the last time together. This won't be something you do by yourself. And then after that, um, I, I had everyone's email address, their personal emails, email addresses. And, you know, we all stayed in touch. We were connected on LinkedIn and all of that. And someone in the group, I, I got, I received a lot of thank you notes. Were, were mm -hmm. incredibly beautiful and amazing because you think, wow, like this is, <laughs> I should, I, shouldn't I be angry? Shouldn't I be pissed? Shouldn't yeah. I be cursing them more? But how do you curse? How do you get pissed when, you know, you know, these people are sharing their gratitude and their appreciation for what I was able to do for them. And I feel proud of myself for having been able to do this for them. And I'm so glad I could do this for them, that I had the ability to do this for them. 
And one person sent a note that said towards the end of it, uh, after she said some thanks and all of that, she said, uh, Roger, I just want you to know you have a book inside of you and I hope you write it. And I'm actually getting choked up thinking about that thought because that was it. That was like the thought that just sat with me for a while and didn't turn into anything right away. It would take another year and change before I actually started writing that book. But it was the the seed that 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 she planted that really got me to, you know, get on the path to writing the book. And that reinvention mastermind showed me that this could be my next chapter. Mm -hmm. This could be what I do. So maybe there is something to this where I could teach people how to do what I did. And so I started getting on that path and I tried it a lot of ways. The majority of them failed. And it's only recently that they're started that I'm starting to find the best ways to teach and help people do this. Um, and it came from a lot of, you know, testing ideas out and seeing what works and what didn't. And as of like late last year, early this year, you know, we're, we're really getting it. And it's great to see how, you know, I'm able to reach more people now, help more people with a clear, more concise message, all of those things. So it's been quite the journey since that layoff, but um, I have that layoff to thank. So I have two things from what you just said. One is, I guess the groundwork was kind of set in the beginning with your dad, because you said your dad in his 50, late 50, late or late forties, early fifties was laid off. So you were able to see how he responded. Mm -hmm. So that was part of it. But the second one was you said you learned from your failures, what not to do. So mm -hmm. let's talk about your dad being your mentor and then talking about learning from your failures. Cause a lot of people, when they fail, they don't get back up. They mm -hmm. just kind of quit. So Let's talk about both of those things. Yeah. So, you know, well, learning from my dad was, uh, of course, incredibly valuable because of the, 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 the age group. You know, his age was the same age as the majority of people being laid off, unfortunately, um, by IBM at the time. And so uh, his stories were totally relevant. I mean, he shared with me when he got uh, laid off in, uh, in his late 40s, like all the feelings he went through. So I was able to share real feelings that I go, well... I felt some real feelings too, but I wondered if my real feelings were the same as the real feelings of somebody who's in their fifties, maybe different. They're probably most likely different, right? I'm 39. And, and I've also been there, done that. I've been laid off. I've been uh, fired. I've, I've gone through all those things along my journey to reinvention. So um, I had different experiences and from him, I was able to get a lot of those feelings he went through and what it felt like. Also, he was a parent of I wasn't a parent yet. So mm -hmm. I only recently became a parent. So he was a parent. So what, how, does a, how does a parent feel? You know, like, what does that feel like? And that I'm sure is different than what a non-parent feels like. And so there were a lot of things I was able to get from his stories. And then, of course, um, you know, what didn't work for him and then what also worked for him? What were the actions he took that changed things? You know, what were the moments that, you know, became like the wins like what were some of those strategies he put into place some that of course he didn't even know going into him but it was just a matter of trying things and then some things worked and then he was like okay that works okay let's do more of that mm -hmm. and so those stories you know really went a long way to um connecting with that audience um but of course i still had parts of my story that were uh th that were age agnostic if you will it didn't really matter what the age is it's these are still things that we all go through when we're going through transitions and we need to learn something new and all of that. And so I was able to share from my own stories of, you know, getting uh, when I had gotten fired at one point or had gotten uh, laid off uh, from a teaching role that I had. I mean, there were a lot of things that happened and all everything I felt. And how did I turn that around to to try to focus on something that I could do 
rather than on something that I couldn't go back, mm -hmm. turn the turn the clock back on. And that was, I think, the key idea that I learned because there were times where I was just pissed at what happened. And I realized that when I look back, those moments were moments where nothing happened. I wasn't able to advance. I wasn't able to do anything. It wasn't, it wasn't until the moment I shifted my attention to what I could do that all of a sudden then, you know, I was able to actually make progress along the journey. And so that was one of the biggest failures I had to share with the group that I learned from. It was that, you know, I, I need you. I, I get it. This is difficult. This hurts. Mm -hmm. You know, you're feeling a lot of bad things right now. And you have lots of time to feel that way. But at the very least, do something for me. When you're in these sessions, three times a week, maybe six hours total, look forward, not backwards. Give yeah. yourself the gift of just for two hours on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, looking ahead. And then let yourself see whatever you see going down, you know, going into the future. And people shared with me that was really helpful that that one lesson like made a, a massive impact because they wanted to be angry. They wanted to be bitter. They wanted, to, which is, you know, I don't know, my mom used to say it better, but something like along the lines of, you know, drinking your own poison or drinking the poison yourself or something like that, you know, you're cursing somebody else out, but you're drinking the poison. And I, you know, I, that's where I felt like I was able to offer probably one of the greatest lessons I learned um, to this group. Wow. I just can't even imagine. So your, your whole reinventing yourself was all about mindset. So let's talk about how important mindset is to your um, reinvention. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of things that I've learned along the way in terms of thinking that has always served me, especially in the, in the last 10 years um, of my journey to reinvention. The one idea is this framework of build, measure, learn. And it's this idea that um, to quickly build something, if you have an idea, build something quickly, then measure it and learn something from it right away. And the more quickly I can stand up an idea, the more quickly I can determine if it's worth something or if it could do something or if it might move forward or something along those lines. And so that is a mindset, I realized. Like that is a mindset. If you're constantly thinking in terms of build, measure, learn, no matter like what's going on, you could always say, what can I whip up quickly to test out? So something bad happens. Oh no, like I'm out of money and I need to figure out how to pay next month's rent. Build, measure, learn. What could I whip up quickly and try out? Ooh, let me just put up an ad for this or let me just like put this on Craigslist or let me try this or let me see if I can find something I could sell or whatever. You know, it's just like, it's an action oriented, but it doesn't mean everything you do works. Um, what it means is that everything you try, you can learn from. And if you can learn something from it, the next attempt should be a little bit better. And every subsequent attempt is a little bit better. That for me has probably been like, kind of like one of the foundational mindset, like frameworks that I have used that has helped me no matter what has happened, whether times are good or bad, mm -hmm. that mindset helps you try things, learn from them and ensure that you're always making each attempt, each subsequent attempt a little bit better. I love the fact that you said when you're building something, if you think about something, do it quickly. Cause a lot of people think about something, but they sit on it and don't do it. And then they go, ah, why didn't I do it? When they come, I could have done that. And somebody else comes out with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually um, was quite guilty of that, um, you know, a lot. And I learned that. That's why I say the last 10 years, even though I've been on the journey to reinvention longer than that, I spent a lot of that time, uh, you know, at the beginning, um, sitting on some ideas that when I look back now, I'm like, oh, man, I really wish I would have done something about that. I thought about it. It's one thing if you never thought about it, 
it's hard to feel bad that, you know, you didn't do something because you're like, well, I didn't even think about it. But for instance, I remember distinctly remember thinking to myself many times uh, to write more often to my blog mm-hmm. uh, back in like 2008, 9, 10. <laughs> and had I actually followed through on that idea rather than just every so often, whenever, you know, inspiration called or whatever, <laughs> you know, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. That would have made a massive difference today. Having planted those seeds back, those seeds back then, those SEO seeds, those you know backlink seeds, uh, mm-hmm. those just history of your website seeds would have made, and even just practicing your writing, you know, mm-hmm. and all of those things would have made my life quite different. And so, but luckily that you know once I learned build, measure, learn, I, I just I loved it. I realized I actually that's how I taught math. And I go, wow, I never realized that's how I taught math. <laughs> and then um, I go, this is exactly what I've been teaching my students to do, that it's better to not overthink a math problem and just try something super quickly. Just see what happens. I don't care. I don't care if it's bad, wrong, it doesn't really matter. Rather than sitting there and saying, I don't know, just write something. I really don't even care what you write. Just write the numbers. <laughs> I mean, put that down. Once you build a little momentum, you'll figure something out. Your next attempt will be a little bit better because you learned something from that one. And so I started applying that and changed everything for me, uh, you know, and after 2014, when I learned it, I still remember what year I learned that. I, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it's one of those lessons when you learn it, you realize, oh, my gosh, how have I not lived with this all my life or how have I not, not, not known this all my life? Um, after 2014, I, be, you know, I started practicing it and every year I get better at the build, measure, learn methodology and thinking about that. And of course, if you think about it, that sounds and, or feels a lot like a close relative of the growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Because the growth mindset suggests that we believe that we can actually grow into something. We can learn something. doesn't mean you have to be the best at it. It just means that you can grow into it and you can learn it. And so growing, learning, whatever you call it, what want to call it, it all starts with building something. Build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn. You do that enough times and you're practicing the growth mindset before you know it. Now, you mentioned several times about teaching math. Did you ever think that when you were teaching math that you were going to be teaching people how to reinvent themselves and how to how to reinvent their mindset as well did you ever think that when you were teaching math to these um students the college students to what what you said high school students that uh, you were middle school and high school high school that you were going to be teaching even adults how to reinvent themselves did you ever think that was going to happen never did i think i would be teaching to reinvent myself probably because i was still reinventing myself and i wasn't even sure then if i had been that successful at doing it or not. <laughs> I wasn't even still sure yet how I felt about my own journey to reinvention. I was happy teaching, but I wasn't sure at that point. Uh, th- that said, there were topics that I did feel I could teach adults. And I and I had started my speaking career, um, not in a big way, but I had already started booking a few talks here and there, nothing major, just, you know, literally maybe four a year if at best, you know, back in those years. And a lot of those audiences were um, adults, um, either university students or adults. So I was already starting to get a hint that I, I could apply a lot of this experience to teaching adults as well. Um, but I definitely did not see myself teaching uh, people how to reinvent themselves. I definitely did not see myself teaching entrepreneurship at University of Pennsylvania or at Sarah Lawrence College. Never saw any of those things coming uh, until they came. What What was your... What did you think when those opportunities opened up and they came to you and they said, we want you to teach those at the university levels? Oh, my gosh. That was, uh, you know, it catches you off guard to an extent, because in my case, I was not even applying or thinking about these things. 
they recruited me out of these events that I facilitated around the world called Startup Weekend. So they were in the audience. I just didn't know they were in the audience. And then they recruited me after those events. And I had no idea that that was going to happen. I wasn't even thinking about those things. Um, I thought to myself, wow, it is incredible what is possible when you do the things that you love to do and that light you up and bring out the best version of yourself. That was probably the biggest takeaway from those experiences. And I teach that now to people. You know, I teach that now very intentionally, how, you know, tapping into your best self. In fact, on my blog, rogersoria.com, you could, one of the last articles is on how to unleash your best self. And in that, uh, in that article, I talk all about how, I mean, we become magnets. We like just attract resources, people, everything we need, you know, to make things happen when we are doing the things that light us up the most. And teaching math for a while was one of those things that lit me up the most. It was, you know, a senior executive from IBM who recruited me from teaching math. Um, then it was, you know, UPenn and Sarah Lawrence College recruited me from startup weekend events because they saw me doing something that I absolutely loved to do. And those things brought the best version out in me. And it didn't mean that I wanted to do Startup Weekend for the rest of my life. It just meant that right now I am having a blast doing this. And this brings out a side of me that, and by the way, this was on weekends. So that means I'm still working all week long. And then I say, sure, I'll do this extra work during the weekend. Um, you know, that has nothing to do with whatever my day job is at the time. But I loved it. And it brought out an incredible side of me. I didn't mind missing out on an entire weekend. You know, friends were out partying on the weekends and all of that. And I was working like, you know, a, an event that ran every, uh, Friday night from like about 6 p.m. until about midnight, Saturday from 8 a.m. until midnight, Sunday from 8 a.m. until like about 9 p.m. So I was literally working the entire weekend, having a blast, having fun, being my best self there. And that's, you know, uh, what I learned from those experiences. That's what I really took away from that was, wow, when you do those things, you really do become a magnet. So I got to do more of this. So how do you find the things that light you up though? How, you know, cause a lot of people like nothing, I'm not, nothing. I don't love anything, you know? When yes. They yeah. Yeah. I hear that plenty. So, you know, the, the simplest way is actually what I'm focused on really teaching right now, which is engaging in projects, engaging in experiments, projects, short-term projects to be even more specific, not long-term projects are the best way to start getting to know yourself. It's because the assumption is often, you know, I got to find that thing that I love. The thing is people want to find it before they engage in it. They want to guarantee, they want to guarantee that they love it. I'm like, that doesn't happen. You don't do that. Like I had no clue that I was going to love my wife. You know, the <laughs> moment I met her, uh, I thought she was interesting. <laughs> and we started dating as a result. Same thing with interests. Interests are no different. You know, projects, um, potential passions in your life start as just a little interesting. Sometimes you're even forced into it. Maybe friends set you up on a blind date or a friend invites you out to a thing that they love doing. But mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I don't know if I really like that. I actually, I don't think I like that. But they say, come anyway. I don't want to go alone. And you're like the good friend who says, fine, I'll go with you. Even though you didn't want to go to that dance class with them or those dance lessons because you're like, I have two left feet. I can't dance. And then you go and have a blast. And you're like, that was a lot of fun. I sucked. But that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I, can I go with you to the next class? And then it becomes date number two, date number three. You still suck, but you're like, there's something to this. Like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of at least having fun for that one hour. So why not just have fun for another hour, you know, and then you go to the next class. And that's what 
I share with people is the best way to start discovering who you are, discovering your passions, discovering your interests is you really have to date them. And so short-term projects are really the best way to do it because you go all in on something for just a short amount of time and you learn about it in the process. And whether you decide to persevere or pivot away from this thing, at the end of the day, you learn something. <laughs> Build, measure, learn. So the learn part is always there. It doesn't matter if you stick with it or not. The learn part will always be there as long as you do it. And so I figure, hey, look, even if this project is not right for you for the long run, you can you, you will never lose what you've learned. And that becomes a part of you. And I have no idea when or where it will serve you, but I have found in life, uh, especially now as I'm in my 40s, that stuff comes back to serve you somewhere, somehow down the road, that knowledge that I got when I was 18, sitting in a classroom, when I thought this is stupid and why am I listening to this? Oh my gosh, that just came up in something. And I actually recalled that thing. Like, that's mm -hmm. crazy. I'm so glad I knew that, or I knew enough to ask the right questions, you know, something along those lines. So I find that it doesn't really matter what your project is. It will come back to serve you in some way. Um, but you never know some of those, you might persevere and you say, wow, this is fun. Like, I really like this. And for me, one of my projects, one of my many projects was math, tutoring math. And that eventually turned into a love affair, which turned into a marriage for a while. And yes, then math and I split up. It was time to part, to go our separate ways, but a relationship that I will never forget. And one that every now and then I have to admit, I do, uh, I do text her every now and then. I text math every now and then. And these days, and these days, I do kind of have a little side thing with math. I actually started tutoring again for the first time in years. Um, somebody reached out to me, actually the person who cleans our home, and she was telling me that her son needed some help in math. And she knew my story because she read my book. She's like, I know you were a math teacher. Do you still do that? And I go, I haven't in a long time, but I actually would love to, uh, you know, hop back into whatever <laughs> with math again. So. <laughs> So, so she said, awesome. Well then, you know, reach out to him, please. He just lost his tutor. Like, you know, person moved on to do something else and uh, we're really scrambling around looking for somebody. And so, yeah, he'll be here actually in a couple of hours. <laughs> Tuesdays are our day. So it'll be great. And, and I'm loving it. I'm really loving it. So yeah, you know, these, these things are not meant to be forever all the time. You could be in a really passionate love affair for many years doesn't have to stay forever when it comes to your passions you could move on from it and i have great memories so I, I will never regret that time i i always look back fondly on that and other things that i've done i love that i also one of the things i want to point out that you said that you said what happens if you like go dancing or something and you suck at it but you're having fun at it you still persevere and keep going back because the whole purpose of the whole thing is to have fun, to have fun, even if you suck at it. Yes. Because a lot of people, if they think they suck at something, they won't continue to do it. Even if it's fun for them, they say, yeah. I suck. They stop. Yeah. And I love yep. the fact that you said, even if, if you suck at it, you still continue to do it because a lot of yes. people think that they're supposed to be perfect right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, I, I think, you know, we're, we're kind of unfortunately wired for that because of school, right? School mm -hmm. teaches us if something doesn't go right the first time, then maybe this is not for you. Um, so you should pivot right away. And it's like, eh, not right away. You never really know until, you know, you try it a few more times. And so one of the things that I have like a fundamental belief about anything you try is that you should suck at it when you start. Like I, I should not expect, I should have zero expectations of being good at this. I should have complete expectation that I will suck at something that I'm doing for the very first time in my life. So 
that if you go in with that expectation and that expectation comes true, okay, well, there we go. I'm one for one on my predictions uh, today and it worked out. And that changes everything because now you don't go in hoping that you're going to be better. Um, but, you know, a lot of times we get so excited at beginner's luck, right? This mm -hmm. idea of beginner's luck, someone just, whoa, my gosh, you're such a natural. And we, we, we get so excited about people who we call naturals at something. I hate that, by the way. I hate that. I, I had to remove that kind of language from my math classroom, especially when I taught at the all-girls school because I had them in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, significantly important years when it comes to their development as math as potential future math students, right? They're, this is the time where they decide, do I hate math or do I love math? And there's no middle. I hate it or I love it. And unfortunately, a lot of times because of the way kind of things work out in schools, girls tend to go, I hate it. It's not my thing. It's not for me. Somebody else does this well. I don't. And I set out like, no, I got to like find a way to fix that. And I realized it's a lot in the language because we would think that if we're not good at it the first time or the second or the third or the fourth, then we can never become good at it. And so this is, uh, so I would always empower them to like, I would get rid of language like natural, smart. I go, what, what does smart mean? Smart practice, right? Like you mean someone who practices? How often do you practice math? Not a lot. So you can't be surprised that you're not doing well at this. That's okay. <laughs> That's totally, actually how you perform perfectly makes sense, you know? But if you want to perform better, let me help you. Like, I'm going to show you the practice that will get you to perform better. And that's it. But don't set the expectation at having to get an A or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for dance lessons or whatever. Don't set the expectation that I have to be the best dancer. I have to go to, you know, a dance competition in the next year or something like that. No, you don't. You could just go for fun and at best be mediocre for a whole, like for years. Uh -huh. If you're having a blast, does it really matter? And that society has put the pressures on, especially young kids, especially yeah. when they start school so early and you know, preschool. You, oh, my kid needs to be reading me for the hit kindergarten. Well, that's the mm -hmm. whole point of kindergarten and first grade is to have yep. kids to read. But I think that puts the pressures on them to be perfect and have reading and and all these skills before they even enter school that some kids feel like they're failing even before they start school. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that when I worked in the school system in both public and private, I, I saw that and gosh, that bothered me so much because I didn't want students to feel this way. I'm like, this is not the point of, of school. This is, this is where you should be making all your mistakes. In fact, this is the safe place where you should suck. I mean, uh -huh. you know, later when you have a $300,000 a year job having to, I don't know, do rocket science and there's a rocket depending on, you know, your math, yeah, feel pressure then. That's when you should be awesome <laughs> because you're being paid to be awesome. And by then you probably are awesome. So that's cool. Like that, that works, but you're in sixth grade. Like, I mean, you should suck at anything I teach you for the first time. You should suck a lot at it actually. And if you don't, I used to say, that's my bad, not yours. I did not rise. I did not bring this to a level that challenged you. If you did well on it, I, I, and I did that on purpose. I almost wanted to take that victory away from them because I didn't want them it, like beginner's victory mm -hmm. because that that's not a, taken as a victory. That's taken as I'm a natural. That's not as like a, wow, I worked hard and somehow I managed to persevere and succeed on this first problem that I've ever attacked of this kind. No, nobody yeah. thinks that. Everything, I'm a freaking natural at this. I'm awesome. I'm so good yeah. at this. And then all of a sudden you get to a real challenging problem and you're like, uh-oh, what happened there? And you know you have a conflict. 
So I would let my students know that if you did really well early on, I would apologize to the class. And I say, you know, that was my bad. I didn't set that challenge high enough no. for it to be worth your time. That's how I would always spin it. I go, this is about you, not about me. I'm like, I'm here to serve you. You're my customers. And I, I did not set this at a level that was worthy of your time. So next time this will be stepped up a little bit. It'll be more challenging, which makes it more interesting, which means at least, you know, you may not notice the time passing. <laughs> so that's my mission. That way you're not, you don't feel bored in this class. Yeah, that is so true. Now you have something coming up in May, which is a free project design session. Let's talk about that. Yes. Yeah, so I, in May, I am going to be hosting a series of calls twice a week. And these are going to be 90 minute sessions where I'm going to help people design a project, a three month project. So I know that a lot of times when I've worked with my clients, one of the hardest things to do is actually to design a project that is uh, limited in scope so that it doesn't get so out of hand that it becomes overwhelming. It's just the right size that you're like, I could do this. This is a doable thing, even if I'm not great at it. I can get this thing done. And, and also like how to design it in a way that meets a few requirements. One, it helps you validate a new area or interest. Maybe it's a business. It helps you validate that market. Two, it helps validate you to the market. You know, one thing that I've realized helping a lot of entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs around the world is that what, if they don't have experience in that field, let's say somebody who's in marketing decides, I want to go, I want to become an entrepreneur in the food world. Well, the food world has no idea who you are and they don't know if you know anything and you don't technically probably know anything most likely. So you almost like, like as far as they're concerned, you are no one to them. So we need to validate ourselves to the market. And it doesn't mean you have to be awesome. There are other ways to do that. Sometimes by just participating in someone else's community gets yeah. you some credit where people say, hey, you know what? I appreciate what you're doing. You know, you're not going toe to toe against some of the top chefs in the planet <laughs> against Michelin star chefs, but I love what you're doing in this space. Like you're, you're really hustling, you're contributing, you're adding value to our community. Cool. Welcome. <laughs> Can I introduce you to somebody? Can I help you out? And so I want the project to be something that validates you to the market that introduces you to them and starts to build your brand in that space. Uh, so that's the second thing that this project needs to do. And then the third thing that it needs to do is help you like just learn and have fun learning because that is, remember I said like, if nothing else, you should walk away with some learning. And so I want to make sure that if nothing else, if this is not the thing you realize, well, oh, food is not quite my thing. I thought it was seemed like a good idea at the first, at, at, at first, but not anymore. Thanks to this project. But you know what? I learned something and I had fun doing it. So I want to make sure that it's aligned with your passions, with your values, with your interests, so much so to the point where you will have fun doing it and you will walk away with something tangible that you learn. And now it's just part of your toolkit or part of your toolbox or whatever metaphor you want to use for that. Um, and so I wanted to do those three things. And so that's what I'm going to help people do. And in these sessions, we're going to go through this. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to keep this group small. So it's limited to 10 people per session. And there's only six sessions in May. So 60 people tops will get to do this, but they will get a lot of that individualized attention because I want to make sure that when they walk out, they can say, I have a clearly defined project. I know what the action plan is to get it started and I'm ready to rock and roll if I choose to. I, I can't do that part for you, but I can at least get you to the point where I put it in your hands. It's now up to you whether you want to run with this project or not. And so that's what I'm going to be doing in May. So do they have to go in with kind of an idea of what they want to do or do you kind of help them kind of figure out what they want to do? 
So, you know, without going into the whole process and the agenda and all of that, there are are activities that I'm going to be doing that will challenge everybody, even if they did have a little hint of an idea, I'm going to challenge them to step back for a moment. And so if you don't have that idea, cool, we're stepping back anyway. So we're all starting at like square zero. And I will take you through some guided exercises that will help you start to identify, you know, what the potential opportunities or ideas could be. And so, hey, you might come in with a seed of an idea or a thought or maybe a hint of an idea. You might actually, through the exercises, realize, oh, I came up with something way better that has nothing to do with that original idea. See, that's what I was thinking, because a lot of people are, would stop and say, you know what, then maybe this isn't for me because I have no idea what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to reinvent myself, but I have no idea how I want to reinvent myself. So yeah. knowing that they don't have to go in with an idea of what they want to do maybe the push they need to go and say, Hey, maybe this is what I need to do right now because I don't have an idea of what I want to do, but maybe this is exactly what I need. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I have a way that I teach for people to actually forget the idea altogether. And I, and speaking of, you know, how we talk about shifting, Uh shifting our attention, right. You know, where our attention, where, um, where our focus goes. Um, I want to put it somewhere else where it's more constructive. There's more possibilities, but at the same time, the possibilities aren't endless too many possibilities. And you're like, I have no idea what to do. I can't pick one, Um, you know, too little. And you're like, I don't see anything interesting. So I want to be able to direct people into uh, um, a, a way of thinking that will activate enough ideas that you're like, oh, you know what? That was a very different way of approaching this. I think I know exactly where I want to start. And then from there, we start exploring ideas. So ideas actually a little hint uh, or a little like sneak peek is that ideas will not be where we start. <laughs> this will not be step one, brainstorm. Uh, so we will be starting somewhere else. Oh, I love that. Now let's go back to the book again, The Journey of Reinvention. Um, What can people, if you wanted to get people to buy your book, what is the one thing that you would say off the bat, this is why you need this book? Yeah. So the one thing I would say is that this book, if you are struggling to find the courage to reinvent yourself, to believe that you can reinvent yourself, no matter what your circumstances this book will help you find that courage. It will help you develop that courage. It will help you see it through a little bit through my stories and other stories that I share in the book, um, all related to finding that belief in us that it is possible. And that's really all it takes to get started. You know, this is probably the number one piece of feedback I've gotten from my readers of the book is that this book is all about building the courage to reinvent myself. It's if, if I didn't believe it going into it, I believe it now is what I've heard a lot. And honestly, like, you know, after also rereading it myself a couple more times, I thought to myself, you know, if I could retitle this, I'd call it the courage to reinvent yourself. That would be the, uh, the new title, maybe a second edition. We'll get that title, but that's what this book is all about. So if there are any doubts in your mind, if you think, no, but what about my finances, this, that, or, or I don't know, like things, you know, are so good right now. Like I make great money. I have a great title, I, all these things. And, but you know, deep down, there's something in there that wants to come out and you're not sure how to approach that. Then this book will start to open up that idea and that possibility that maybe the journey of re- journey to reinvention is right for you. And it's time to get onto it and time to start pursuing it. Doesn't mean you have to quit your job, by the way, right away, because no. I didn't always quit my job right away. And actually, I never quit my job right away, uh, unless they laid me off. That was different. Oh, but, yeah. uh, but aside from that, I never quit it right away. You know, it's really about like, what action can you take now? 
wherever you are, whether you're working full-time or not, what action can you take right now? And I talk about that in the book. I love that. Now our time is almost up. Do you have yeah. one last little nugget that you want to share with people before we talk about where people can find you and where they can find the book? Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, I can't stress enough how important it is to engage in projects um, as a way to get to know yourself. But the other thing that I think is really important that we didn't get to touch on too much, but now, and I'll just barely touch it here is you know, imposter syndrome holds people back so much, even once they get onto the journey um, or once they take that first step, they start to feel like, but why me? Like, you know, why would anybody consider me, uh, you know, whatever it is that I want to become or take me seriously? And, you know, this is something that so many of us like, you know, experience and, and it's a very natural feeling to experience. I mean, you're you're kind of just doing the math in your mind. You're saying, look, I have no experience. I have no results here. So, so really, why would anybody take me serious? So I get that. It's a very real feeling to have. And I acknowledge it. I've had it many times. I still struggle with it, by the way, at times. And what I will share with everybody is like a closing maybe idea or thought is that projects are a very tangible and real way of conquering that. Because mm -hmm. if you feel that you have no results, Work on a project, a three-month project. You will have an outcome. You will have a result. Do that again. You'll have another outcome, another result. Do it again. You'll have another outcome, another result. And along the way, you start to collect testimonials. Depending on what you're doing, there are people who most likely would have worked with you and will have worked with you. And then along the way, they will have things to share about you. Now you have results, you have outcomes, and you have testimonials. You know what? By definition, you're not an imposter anymore. You're already doing the thing. So it's just about taking the next step. It's no longer about what am I even thinking about? You know, how, what am I even thinking being in this space? No, you're already in it. And by the way, you're contributing to it in a way that adds value to that community, to that world, to that industry, to that market, to that field, whatever you want to call it. So this is how you overcome. This is how you battle. In fact, this is how you crush imposter syndrome by providing evidence, hard evidence, results, data, you know, testimonials, outcomes that right there combats it. And then you, you almost, can't rationalize being an imposter anymore because you're like, I have the outcomes. I have the data. I have the results. I have the testimonials. In fact, I have the friends now in this new area, in this new field, <laughs> and they are all supporting me. So what's holding me back? It's not imposter syndrome. It might be something else, but you can get through that imposter syndrome. Wow. That is a whole new way to think about imposter syndrome and how to overcome it. It's the math teacher in me. So I, ha I have to find that, like, what's the math equation here that I could solve for imposter syndrome. And what I realized was that it's results. They don't have to yeah. be massive, but you do need some. And yeah. so small projects are the best way to get small results. So get a bunch of small results. They add up after a while. And before you know it, I felt the same way going into math. But once I started tutoring enough students, I started realizing, you know what? I can do this. I'm pretty darn good at this now. And I have proof of this. I can't feel like an imposter going into the next step of my career, teaching in the classroom or anything like that. I can feel scared. I can feel yeah. nervous. Those are normal things to feel when you're growing and, you know, moving into the next level. But I'm not sitting there thinking that I don't belong here either. I'm like, no, I know I can do the, what I have to do. If I put me in a classroom, I can, I know what, to, I know how to teach because <laughs> I've done it enough. And so, yeah, this is uh, for me, this is how we combat it. We get results. That is so such a good place to stop because, oh my gosh, that is, that's like mind blowing right now. So where can people find you at? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, a couple of things. I mean, there, there's a link. We've got rogerosorio.com. Um, I don't know if you have the other link for the project design one that can come up, but maybe you'll put that in the show notes. Ah, there it is. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, lu.ma luma um, forward slash project design. That's if you want to sign up for one of the sessions coming up in May. And so that's available now that you'll see sessions starting as of next week. I think Monday is the first session that we're hosting. And then finally, if you want to pick up a copy of the book, um, go to Amazon. I mean, I guess that's where most people go, but it's also available on Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and, you know, all the other places. So just go to their websites and you'll find a copy of my book there. Um, but you can check it out on Amazon as well. In fact, it's actually on sale right now. I checked a little earlier when I was sending you the link and yeah. I noticed that Amazon has it at 54% off at the moment. So I was like, Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> you know, as long as it doesn't come out of my part, <laughs> my little cut. <laughs> so, but Amazon does that from time to time. You never know when it's going to happen or when it's going to end. So it is currently 54% off as of today, May 2nd. <laughs> So Roger, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And guys, like Roger said, I will put in the show notes everywhere you can find Roger, as well as where you can do the project design session and watch a video and find his book. And guys, if you don't listen to anything else, but what he just said in the last, what, 10 minutes of our conversation about the imposter syndrome, mind blown right there. I mean, the whole conversation was good, but the last 10 minutes boom, blow my mind. Um, <laughs> then guys, you will have learned a lot on this conversations. Roger, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing and for blowing my mind. <laughs> uh, thank you, Melissa. I appreciate the time, the opportunity to, to speak to you and, and to your community. And um, I hope I see some folks, you know, from your community at the project design sessions. Let's get you a project to work on this summer. I'm actually calling the campaign the Summer of Reinvention. So I want to set everyone up by the end of May to have their project ready to go and you've got a summer to make it happen. Come fall, you'll be ready to make some decisions and maybe take part two, start part two of that project. Um, and by the new year, you'll be like, whoa, I've got a real possibility right here in front of me. Um, what do I do with it? And so I want to get everybody to that point. All right. So guys, we will see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Be blessed. And most importantly, keep chatting. Bye. <laughs>